0: Hello, and welcome to the first of 2023. It's hard to believe we are in a new year already, but here we are. And I am literally just minutes uh, from getting back home after attending the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. We will, uh, of course, be talking about all the great stuff we saw a little later in the show. For those of you that are new to us, uh, my name is Gareth, I'm the creator of Speed and Review. And you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover movies, games, television, hardware, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and so much more. We also have um, a quarterly magazine that uh, goes by the same name, Scoop and Magazine. And uh, we are on Canal Central, P-I-N-A-L Central dot com, keyword skew and that's a network of newspapers in, uh, let's see, what is it now? It's like 20, 10 newspapers in 21 markets. And, uh, you can just look up skewed. You can find our game reviews there. And then of course, each week I do a segment on DJ, Shay's Deep Nation on KISW FM radio. And so, um, obviously a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, Right now, it's kind of crazy. Michael came back from CES the other day. He's taking care of some stuff. So Justin and I are going to be running through this. And, of course, we'll be easing back to the more regular show format. Uh, Hopefully, starting next week, we just found out with uh, the holidays and everything. It was kind of crazy. I had to travel right before Christmas. And it was obviously, we couldn't get a show then. We came back in the week between Christmas and New Year. Was a little hectic. We couldn't get everyone together. You know, we were trying to do the show, and then last week um, things just got away before I had to leave for uh, CBS, So uh, here we are back to it, and let's hit the ground running. So first off, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Uh, wraps up today, but started on Wednesday with the media days, the full days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, not as big as regular shows, to give you a traditional idea. They normally expect about 200,000 people. They had uh, their estimate of 100,000 people this year. Um, certain countries were not allowed to take part uh, in the show this year. Uh, they had some requirements um, that, uh, you know, people were still, I think, a little hesitant about okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to exhibit? That sort of thing. And so, what we saw was kind of a mixed bag. It was a little, uh, it was bigger than last year, obviously. So last year was kind of crazy because a new COVID wave hit just before the show. All kinds of people failed out. You got in there and you would see like a booth and absolutely nothing for several spaces. And then you'd get another booth and it was all very bare bones. Now, this time out, we had a more full um, really central hall and the West Hall was filled with cars. But, for example... Uh, one of the other halls, which is this really big two-story hall, uh, goes on forever, completely closed. So two years in a row, that hall had not been open. And so as a result, uh, you know, if you didn't have appointments, you could go through it on a walkthrough pretty quick. But there was still a lot of stuff. So some of the highlights I wanted to mention was Razor, uh was on hand. They had some fantastic-looking uh, stuff, everything from uh, a rubber insert for VR that is going to make it easier on the nose to cut down light to make things less sweaty. Uh, They had a nice band for VR that you could put on your VR unit to give it a more snug fit. They had um, a new Racer blade laptop. They had all kinds of things like that. They had a nice subwoofer series that they were showing off. And of course they had this really interesting concept which is a pillow that you slip around your gaming chair that has a built-in speaker system. So that was really cool. We went by uh, Stern and saw some of the new uh, newer pinball games. I mean, obviously, they're not brand new, but they have, like, the Man of the War and, uh, some of the other themed pinball games out there. Uh, Canon had a really nice setup. that had a cabin, excuse me, not at the cabin walkthrough, the upcoming M. Night Shyamalan horror film. And uh, that was really nice. And then, of course, for me, uh, you know, you had a look at player, had a look at audio Technica, but the really big thing that stood out to me was getting a look at the Sony booth and getting a look at the PlayStation VR2 system. I've already got my unit order it's coming in February, and what was really interesting is that we saw a lot of people um, playing Call of the Mountain. Now, there was a little bit of controversy about it, if I'm being honest. Uh, there were some people claiming that there had to be a sign-up, and like one guy told me, that he was there like second in line when the sign up supposedly opened, and yet they told him that they were completely booked solid for the next couple of days. So he was very upset because he said, It seems like it, you know, they were saying it's an open sign up, but there he had essentially booked all these slots. One of the things I found interesting was uh, the floor opened at 10 o'clock. They had told us that none of the stuff would be taking place until Friday, a little later in the day we saw people playing it, uh, but ironically, less than an hour after it opened, uh, there were already four write-ups from people saying they played it at CES, so uh, pretty clear that some of these select people were allowed to play it either Wednesday or before the show opened, so, you know, that's fine, it's the nature of the business, but... A uh, few people were upset that there was it was advertised as an open sign-up, and it very much seemed like it was invite-only. Uh, that being said, uh, mixed bag. It looked really good. It played very well for the people who were there. Uh, one of the biggest issues was they did not have the uh, thumbstick controls uh, apparently enabled for the demos they had there for Horizon oh. Call of the Mountain. And then uh, other people had said there were some, um, not so much tracking, but lag issues and that was attributed to all the uh, the cell phones and such that were in the area filming it, recording it, and uh, going on, that it interfered with some of the signal. That being said, it looked fantastic, it played fantastic, it was said to be a huge leap ahead over uh, the PlayStation VR and other units on the market. So before I get on to some of the other stuff, Justin, do you have any thoughts or comments on that?
1: Yeah, know, I I think it goes with the territory that uh, there's going to be some kinks. You know, uh, I remember trying uh, years before the Oculus was re- was released. Uh, they had a you know a version of it uh, demoing at one of the packs as I went to, and you know, it it was definitely a proof of concept thing at the time. It definitely did not seem like it was you know ready for market. So I think that's just if they're showing something that early. Um, it just goes with the territory that there's probably going to be a few bugs with it.
0: Understandable. And, you know, like like I said, that, um, one of the things for me was, as I, I said to somebody, and for those who are curious, uh, if you go to sknr.net, we do have some video up of the uh, gameplay in action, and it has been uh, pretty popular. But, like, for example, one of the things I said was uh, in the, the pre-show at the Sony conference, They talked about how Gran Turismo um, is going to have a free upgrade to offer support to the VR2. And they talked about Beat Saber was coming to the VR2. But of course, then there's this whole issue about, well, I already have it for the PSVR-01. And since, uh, you know, it was vague, like, okay, are they going to offer me a free patch update? Or am I going to have to go up by a whole new version? And, you know. My take is Beat Saber's fun and all that, but I've kind of played out on it. I need something new. And I'm not really a huge person for Horizon, um, you know, call of the Mountain, that sort of thing. Uh, well, looks good, but, you know, I, I, I'm kind of trying to see what all my options are. And one of the options that looks really appealing to me is there was one that was brought up to me. It's, uh, I enjoy Until Dawn Rush Blood on the original uh, PSVR. And, uh, you know, for people who don't know that, it's a really interesting concept in that it's a monster shooter combined with essentially like a roller coaster motion ride. Right? And somebody said, What well, there's one coming, I've looked into it, is a new coming called Switchback. And it's Switchback VR, they said it's basically. A new one told on Russia's Blood, same developers, same gameplay, but got a whole new ISP. You know, and I'm still holding out for Half Life Alex to be uh, offered up. So a lot of interesting potential there. And uh, another thing that I wanted to mention out, uh, like I said, I'm hoping that next time he gets a chance to come on, he'll uh, be able to talk about it. But Michael uh, had a very long meeting with NQ, the folks with the monitors. He had a nice meeting with Be Quiet, and he also was. Uh, doing, he went to Showstoppers and he did a lot of walking around and covering things over at um, uh, what do you call it at the Venetian as did uh, Mark and then uh, my wife and I, like I said, we mainly stuck with the um, Las Vegas Convention Center and a little bit of the Venetian but a lot of it uh, was appointment only, so all in all, not a bad show I think What I saw, Justin, that really made it interesting, you know, some people were saying uh, there was a good description where somebody described it as like panning for gold, saying that you may not at first say, oh, who treasure jackpot, but if you're patient and keep at it, you will find some very nice things. I saw a lot of really nice and interesting things there. Um, wouldn't necessarily say right off the bat that I saw any game changers. I mean, I saw a lot of things like, for example, um, see what you can make of this and, and see how this makes sense. So there's this company that's making a 55-inch television, and they're advertising that it's completely wireless. So they, like, show, okay, look, you can stick it on the wall here. You can pull it right off the wall really easy and stick it right on the other another wall. You don't need all this mounting stuff, da 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 and there you have it. Well, then you find out that apparently the batteries are proprietary, you have to buy the batteries for them, and oh yeah, you have to buy a receiver for them. And you can have all this, Justin, for the low low price of $3,000. <laughs> yeah, and it's a little bit I'm high. I'm looking at that going, okay, number one, how many times do you move a 55-inch television around? It's not like you sit there and move it to a different room in the house and take it with you. And as somebody brought up to me, they said, well, Don't most people have tablets or phones that they sit there when they want to take a screen to another area? And then I looked at it and said, wow, you know, I could go to Costco
1: and get anywhere from
0: five to eight televisions, 55-inch televisions, stick them all over the house for the same money, uh, and, oh, yeah, guess what? I'm not changing you for proprietary batteries. And, honestly, plugging it into the wall really isn't that big a deal. And then someone also had this great comment. He goes, So if you have it stuck to the wall and the battery runs out, does the thing just fall off the wall? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, yeah. And, you know, my wife looked at it, she said, that's one of those things where it's a case of just because we can do it, we're going to do it, but it's not a practical device, because I'm looking at that going why would anybody in their right mind pay $3,000 for a television just to avoid plugging it into the wall? To me, that's a minor inconvenience at best, but You know, that's the kind of mixed bag that you'll see. You'll see something like that, and then right next to it, you'll see something where you go, wow, that's really practical. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the long term from this is. Um, You know, I kind of miss the old days where we could see like EBGA and NVIDIA and um, Steel Series and Turtle Beach and stuff like that. But, you know, it was nice seeing what Sony had. It was nice to see some of the other products. Uh, uh, you might get a kick out of this, Justin. Now, they they have this thing here. It was a little little annoying at first, but once we got it down, it was pretty cool. Traditionally, they park you, they, the shuttle buses that they get you take you to this one location where you're, where you're centralized. And in the last two years, they've taken us to this brand new West Hall. of the Las Vegas Convention Center is absolutely massive. I mean, there is a bit of walking. Um, you know, you have this, this one, as I like to call it, the main hub, where you have the central hall, you have that two-story hall that goes on forever that I talked about. That's a lot of stuff. You walk to this other area, West Hall, that's where they do a lot of the automotive. Well, they have this brand new one, Skybridge connected, state-of-the-art, food for, I mean, absolutely incredible, as you'd expect in Las Vegas. But now, the bus drops you off over there. So you have to go up an escalator, walk all the way down this hall, all the way down this really high sky bridge, back through another lobby, down another way to get to where, you know, for most people, the nuts and bolts to show us. Okay, fine. Well, now the shuttle back to our area for parking is no longer there. So it started to pour in rain. We're standing out in our usual area where we've been picked up to go back to our parking area for 10, 11 years now. And they're like, oh, no, you have to go to the West Hall for your bus. Well, now they have this thing called a hyperloop, which is pretty cool. You go down this escalator, and they have these electric cars in a tunnel, and they put you in a loading area. The cars the, the cars have a gold wing door design, and, like, they're always pulling in and out. And they come in. They can take four people that you kind of scrunched in, so they they put us in twos because that was more comfortable. And they send you down. You, you know, it's a very spacious loading area all underground, but then when you go, You're in this kind of tunnel, and it's kind of nice. It's got, you know, it looks like some prefab stuff, but it's got these neon lighting around it. And we're going around this tunnel, and it takes you all the way over to the other So The idea is that you can move around in a loop between the two big complexes without doing all the walking. And so I'm riding along on this thing, and someone, uh, my wife says to me, you know, when they first opened this thing, they got the cars all bopped up in here, and they were, there was a backup. And I started looking at the walls, and I go, you know, it's when you get into the actual tunnel, it's pretty narrow. I don't think they could open the Goldwing doors all the way in these halls. So it was kind of like a real, let's hope we make it to the end. But we did, so <laughs> nice stuff there. So moving on from CES, and like I said, we'll have more stuff coming soon uh, with Michael, is the success of Avatar, The Way of the Water. So once again, number one film in the country. And uh, the
1: No, I think this was to be expected. You know, uh, Avatar, the first one did extremely well. Um, you know, I was watching it a little bit apprehensive like some of the uh, the returns early on um, because it was...
0: Say that again?
1: I, I was a little apprehensive um, watching yeah. the returns um, early on uh, just because it seemed like it was lagging a little bit behind um, the performance of the first movie. Um, but it seems to have like held pretty strong week over week uh so it's definitely you know uh, I, last i saw it was it was definitely approaching break-even point so at some point in the near <laughs> very near future it will be uh, turning a profit and then obviously um you know there's going to be um further revenue driven uh, driven by uh when it goes to streaming or dvd and things like that so um so yeah, uh, it definitely, it makes sense. You know, it's, it's uh success. Um, it, it's definitely being talked about and he's already kind of talked about a little bit of his plans for, for the next one. Um, so uh, I suspect that we'll be seeing it pretty quickly. Uh, definitely not the, uh, what, 10 years it took, took between the first and the second one. Uh, to my understanding, he had already done most of the work for, for the next one. So uh, we'll be seeing it probably pretty soon.
0: Yeah, uh, 10 years is what I'm... Uh, 10 years, excuse me, 2 years is uh, what I understand is the time frame to uh, for the next film. So that's definitely good. And then, of course, the plan is 2 or 3 years after that. And the interesting thing is going forward, there's been a lot of debate about the profitability of it and so on and so forth. Well, as I understand it, a big chunk of the huge, huge cost for the film Uh, was developing all this new technology. And from what I understand is that the technology now that it's been created was created in the 10-year gap between the films. This is the technology they're going to use for the next few films. So they don't have to have all of this new technology. Essentially, the stuff's already in place. It's a matter of just filming it and doing the effects now instead of having to recreate all of this stuff. And that's going to make things a little easier, and then there are some people saying that the, you know, reported price tag uh, was essentially the third film and the second film, as well as the new technology. So it'll be very, very interesting, but I think it's safe to say the folks at uh, Disney are extremely, um, extremely happy with that outcome. Now, another thing I wanted to point out is uh, we've talked before there were these uh, debates about, oh, the box office is dying, the box office is dying. And as we've discussed, that's not the case. It's a case that people want to see big epic entertainment films. I mean, it seems like we're a broken record on this, but all of a sudden, guess what, folks? Here's a brand new COVID variant that's arriving. Um, On top of the six that arrived a few weeks back, you know, we're in this... (laughs) You know, mess. We've got this really bad flu season, so on and so forth. So naturally, people are uh, some people are hesitant to go to the films, and when they do go, they want a major event. You know, the big thing is you look at China; they're having that horrific wave, huge lockdown. Uh, we, you know, goes without saying. And so I look at it. And I just got through having to review a lot of films uh, for award season and that sort of thing. And one of the things I always find is that you can take the so-called art film or the award films, and people will say, hey, they're dour. They can be very depressing. They can be overly long. They can be overly self-indulgent. Uh, some people even say, well, they're really well-acted and shot, but they can be really boring. That sort of thing, I prefer to watch them on streaming. And people are complaining in the industry about, gee, why is no one going to watch this stuff? That's exactly the point. Nobody wants to pay $10 to see, essentially, a punch to the gut. They want, right now, and more than ever, I mean, this is always kind of been the record, they want escapist, over-the-top entertainment. You can say, oh, you know, the the Marvel films aren't really deep, and Avatar is not really deep, well, guess, Jurassic World's is not really deep. Right. But it's escapist fantasy entertainment, and that's what people want. And the box office has shown this. Over and over and over. And that's why I just find it so funny. I'm looking at the box office right now for the weekend. Avatar The Way of Water. Tom Hanks. Fantastic actor. Box office goal. His film, a Man Called Otto, barely made over a million dollars this weekend. Why? It's a depressing film. People don't want to see this. And I don't get why the people uh, at the, the studios don't get that. Did you see how well Megan did uh, over the weekend? Uh, excuse me, Man of did $4.2 4.2 million. though 1 million was the uh, for Sunday. I want to clarify that. But you look at Megan. Here's a movie that was done with 12 on a 12 million dollar budget. It's made 45 million dollars worldwide. Why? Something different. Something a little entertaining. It's a horror film. I expect Scream Six to do exceptionally well when that comes out. Escape is to entertainment. What are your take? What's your take on that, Justin?
1: No, I, I actually I, I pretty much completely agree with you on this. Uh, you know, uh, I think that the box office has suffered in the in recent years because of the qu- uh, quantity and quality of movies. Uh, I find you know I'm I'm a big proponent of um, you know seeing movies in the theater environment if they you know if they warrant it. Um, I've said before you know there are certain movies like Top Gun, for instance, where it definitely was a, a highly recommend go see that in the theaters kind of experience because of its of its effects you know you don't really get the same um impact out of it you know dune was definitely one that uh you know i I'll, I'll, I'll just memory go, just you know going forward in my life my my memory of going to see that in the theaters is just you know that it'll be a very you know vivid memory vivid experience um and i'm i'm I'll just forever be glad that I went and saw it in the theaters because uh, it's definitely a different experience, you know, seeing something like Dune um, or Dunkirk or, uh, you know, any of Nolan's movies in the theater environment um, because they are big spectacle movies um, where, uh, you know, it, it definitely warrants going to see it in, in the theater environment. But there are fewer and fewer movies that I really feel like um compelled to go see it in the theater uh, and... You know, it's not for lack of attempts, it's just um, I'm sort of finding myself less interested in a lot of the movies that do come out, uh, because, you know, like you said, uh, I think a lot of this comes down to, I think a lot of movies are attempting to do too, too much. Um, You know, when a movie is very focused on just basically being entertainment, uh, a good fun time. Um, then they tend to do extremely well i mean top Gun um also did extremely well at the box office, probably one of the the biggest successes this year um and you know it wasn't it wasn't a dumb movie, but it was an entertaining movie that was its primary focus um it wasn't trying to do too much it wasn't trying to you know uh reinvent the wheel it wasn't trying to be some epic saga or um, or anything of the sort. It was basically just trying to be a good Top Gun movie and it, and it succeeded. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's kind of the winning play here for, for Hollywood. Um, you know, the, the Oscar movies, you know, that's a, that's another topic, you know, kind of a different, uh, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're going for a different audience, obviously, but, um, you know, there's, there's, there's an issue there too, because a lot of, you know, it used to be several years ago, a lot of the the Oscar movies used to be actually decently successful at the box office, despite not being, you know, giant, you know, blockbuster movies with uh, special, like major special effects. Um, You know, just to come to mind, you know, The Hurt Locker was a, was an Oscar winning movie. um, And it kind of rode that line between being, you know, kind of that Oscar bait kind of, uh, uh, you know, trying to win an Oscar kind of like high art movie, but also, um, entertaining enough that you actually kind of go want to go see it in the theaters. Um, there are fewer of those, you know. Um, so I do think that a lot of this happens behind the scenes. It's obviously not the theater's fault. It's not really, um, you know, the, the fault of, uh, um, you know, COVID or anything. I think. A lot of this the the movies that are being uh made now um just unless they are kind of focused on being entertaining aren't super successful yeah
0: and um that is exactly what um what it does seem to be the case now is that there's just so much confusion as to what people want on on the part of the theaters and the But it's been very clear. So here's another prime example. We have um, some reports over people saying that, oh no, Eli Roth has been removed from uh, the Borderlands film. And the truth of the matter is that he is about to go to work on another project. So what he has done is um, handed off the film uh, to Tim Miller. Who is going to be doing the reshoots for Borderland and uh, Borderlands? And this is because Eli is getting around to making the long-anticipated and highly demanded Thanksgiving film. And for those who don't know that uh, what's going on with this is that when the uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino made Grindhouse, which was two films, uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof, they did it all up as a Uh, Lovingly recreated uh, love letter to the old grindhouses of old where cheaply made movies, Uh, often with bad quality prints, would be played. in it. set of shows in Las Vegas, and we got a chance to go see Mad Apple at um, the New York, New York Hotel, and it was uh, very different from what circus so way off of us, which is people who may not know. They do some fantastic mix of costumes, humor, um, you can't really call them circus acts, but they are everything from acrobatics to high-wire acts, uh, but they're done in a fresh and exciting Way and it's more like uh, kind of like an interactive theater and uh, circus experience with uh, really good music, costumes, so on and so forth. And uh, Matt Apple is a really clever uh, modernizing of the traditional circus Soleil show. In that you have some fantastic costumes, you have some really good stuff. You have these two, um, you know, gentlemen who are doing some amazing spinning and proportioning you had, uh, you know, people jumping through hoops, you had the high-wire acts, everything that you like. But what really set it out is that it was even more interactive. The band would literally at cast members come right out into the crowd. And normally you do see that pre-show and stuff for when the um, clowns come out. But they were right out there, they were doing things like handing little tiny basketballs to people and encouraging them to shoot at a cast member who had a basket over his head. They had a really great New York backdrop and music, and the great thing about it was the music was some was some classic songs. We had everything from Lady Gaga to uh, Billy Joel to other timeless classics. They had, um, you know, just a fantastic light show. They encouraged everyone to get up and interact. Uh, in the finale, even said, "Go ahead and record it." And what really set this one off is they had a comedian. His name Harrison Greenbaum came up on stage, told some very adult-themed jokes, very topical jokes, and then, you know, poof disappeared, they went on to the show, and then he would pop up later throughout the show, including coming right up into the audience, sitting with people, and that was a little different uh, from what we normally see, but it was really great because you had a very interactive show. It was uh, phenomenal with the music. The energy was good, the... Acts were good. The comedy was fantastic. Um, this one is for 16 and up, so it's not uh, one to take kids to. But I've seen ooh, 10 or 11 different Cirque du Soleil shows. My wife has seen several of them. And she said this has been our absolute favorite. So it's about a 90-minute show. They don't do an intermission. Um, and they do shows, if I remember correctly, they take Wednesday and Thursday off, I think it is, uh, two shows, 7 and 9.30 Um the rest of the way, you can check it out on their page or at New York, New York, You definitely check check it out. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was a fantastic uh, way to spend an evening. Now, uh, Justin, the other things uh, that I want to talk about is we got some news that Marvel is doing some reshoots for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Now, uh, reshoots are no shock. Some people have said, yeah, but this is a little close to... Um, release date and that's what's got everyone kind of funny but here's the interesting thing Um, I take it you've seen the trailer already? Yeah Okay, so there's going to be a deeper look tomorrow during the National Championship football game at halftime, probably the new trailer, the full trailer Uh, but the interesting thing about it is, do you remember the opening of the trailer where he's walking down the street all happy basking in his glory and that sort of thing? Mm Mm-hmm That seems to be where the reshoots are taking place because it says Paul uh, uh, com amongst others, the posted photos of the Los Angeles set of the film, The Dark Horizons, that took.
1: people hear reshoots and they think uh immediately like oh the movie's in trouble but reshoots really could mean anything like you said um based on the description it seems relatively minor like maybe one scene uh maybe they're just maybe it just didn't fit quite right and they are just redoing it like there, there's all sorts of reasons why you could do reshoots now yes there are movies that have gone through extensive reshoots, and usually that's a sign that something something is awry behind the scenes. It's some, someone is not quite happy with how something's turning out, so um, some movies go back through extensive reshoots, and that can be kind of a bad sign. But, you know, sometimes reshoots uh, turn out okay, and the movie turns out fine, but like you said, um, this seems relatively minor. If they're really just kind of reshooting one scene, maybe it's just it didn't fit with something that happens later, or... Um, who knows, Uh, it really could be any number of reasons, there's just not enough information to really to go off of
0: and the thing to remember is almost all major movies have reshoots planned into their scripting because movies are filmed up and they're often filmed months at a time um, sometimes years at a time of of release, and that when you're piecing them all together, sometimes you look at a scene and you just go, you know what this doesn't translate as well or maybe an actor or an actress ad-libs a line on set, and they say, you know what, we want to keep that. But, hey, guess what, that kind of contradicts with something a little earlier, so we need to shoot the scene or extend a scene or remove a scene to, um, you know, make it fit, but at the same time, we need something to set this thing up. So, like I said, it, it does appear to be very minor, and it's odd that people are getting so uh, worked up over it, but you know how it is. Now, the final thing I wanted to uh, end with, and this is really, really uh, fun stuff to be able to to talk about because we have not had a chance to do this for a while. So, April 7th through 10th in London this year is the Star Wars Celebration. And things have been a little quiet on the Star Wars front. Well, we have heard rumors that uh, several Star Wars movies are coming in the next five years and that they will be announcing these things uh at star wars celebration in april and apparently um what i'm hearing is that 2025 will be the first film and that we will be getting films at least every two years after that point uh for the foreseeable future now i'm not saying they're going to announce uh Um, what do you call it, ten movies or something like that, but apparently there's a five-year slate of future movies that is going to be rolled out um, at, uh, at Star Wars Celebration, and it will be interesting because the rumor I'm hearing is that the first film is set after Rise of Skywalker. It will have a female lead and will have all new characters, from the prequel trilogy uh, may appear in it. So what do you think, Justin? Did I say prequel? I meant to say sequel. But some characters from the sequel trilogy may appear in it. So what do you make of that one? That
1: no, makes sense. I mean, um, obviously, Star Wars is uh, too big to of a, of a franchise to lay dormant in terms of the on the film side. Um, and uh, you said 2025, right? Was like kind of That's when there's, the rumor
0: that I'm hearing,
1: yes. That makes sense. You know, because thing about a rise of skywalker was 2019 this would be a, a pretty a six-year um hiatus essentially uh, of star wars movies now we've had tv shows and stuff but um you know five years i mean six years i think is a pretty good um amount of time to kind of you know give the franchise some breathing room um and kind of reapproach it because um you know there was some divisiveness about the, you know, the sequel trilogy and, you know, just as there was about the prequel trilogy. So um, now that, you know, six years has passed, they can kind of come at it, you know, uh, fresh with new characters. I think that's a, a pretty decent idea. Um, and I mean, you know, it makes sense. I mean, um, I think that the way to approach it would be um, to not really um, constrain, they should not at this point, constrain themselves to like one time period or, um, and they didn't really eat before. I mean, they did a rogue one, which took place before and, um, on solo, which also took place before, but, uh, they, I think the way to approach this would be to, um, kind of do this as kind of like a Marvel project. Um, you know, not constrain themselves by, you know, any one set of characters, um kind of expand their horizons and uh explore new new areas of the galaxy i guess uh new and you yeah, know definitely new characters. I think that's the that's the way to go
0: and the important thing to remember is they've got quite a full slate uh of projects already they have the bad that Season two running right now i've already seen the first fourteen actually sixteen episodes because i was given it an advanced look, and so' I'm really impressed with what we've seen there. Uh, we have uh, the third season of The Mandalorian coming in March. I mean, literally, this is kind of nice because original the Disney Plus plan was that they would give you something Star Wars, they would give you something Marvel, they would give you something Star Wars, and it looks like they're going right into um, what do you call it? Uh, they're going right into The Mandalorian, right as The Bad Batch concludes. Yeah, we've got the Ahsoka series coming. There's the Acolyte series. I know that it's not due uh, this year, but they're going to be reporting uh, the new season of Andor. And then on top of it, there's some of the uh, other projects like Skeleton Crew and some of the others in the work. So there's plenty of TV shows in the work. And then, of course, we mentioned Marvel. Um, you know, Secret Wars coming. Um, we got all our secret invasion. I don't know why I want to keep calling it secret war, but either way, um, that is coming very soon. So, you know, it's pretty exciting to see, uh, where that is coming. Final thing I want to bring up, Justin, I know you are a big fan of Godzilla and those movies. And I I was curious, because we haven't really talked about this ever before on air, off air. Um, Big fan of Godzilla, as you said, but how are you with some of the older classic monster movies that essentially uh, grew around the time of Godzilla, the Atomic Era films as they
1: were? Uh, I am loosely um, knowledgeable, because uh, I know there's uh, Gamera, right? Gamma is one of them. Let, uh, let
0: me be a little more clear. American made ones. Not oh, the
1: American ones. the American made ones. No, I'm 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 not. I mean, obviously King Kong, but um, sure. The, but uh, but no, I'm not really super familiar with the, more of the American ones.
0: Okay. Well, um, the interesting thing about it is, as you know, Godzilla. Um, you know, a lot of people like to analyze it. It's an anti-nuclear, uh, or at least a cautionary nuclear tale. as a lot of Japanese films are. Now, um, the Americans had several films where we had mutated creatures. monsters that we've really had, as for the Godzilla and King Kong uh, transitions, and I thought this is really interesting, because if this plays out, I mean, w- yes, we had Cloverfield, and I know they're talking about another one, Let- let's take that out of the mix. It would be really interesting to see, because all the-, the older ones, this is one that really surprised me, because not that it was a bad movie, I just, like, how how do you get a giant ant to make it scary in today's mm-hmm. day and age? But I'm like, but maybe we're missing a point. I don't think they're trying to make it scary. I think they're probably trying to make it like this big campy over-the-top adventure, kind of like arachnophobia and stuff. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, I'd be very curious to see how it's uh, how it's executed, just because, you know, now now that I know what you're talking about I am uh, a, like aware of those movies I just haven't seen a lot of them um but you know the thing about them they're, they're really cheesy and kind of hokey but um when you're dealing with something that actually exists so you know obviously ants literally really exist um and you know and you're just dealing with larger forms of them uh there's a certain ground in nature of that to that uh I guess the thing that I would um i i hope that they they wouldn't turn them into like big you know just cg you know vaguely ant creatures um i think the way to kind of play it would be to me what what would be probably the most compelling is try to keep it as practical as possible as grounded as possible um at that yet you can be with giant ants because uh um you know, I think there could something could be you know, that's that would be unique actually in this environment. You know, most movies um have some kind of like crazy CG alien creature that just kinda of looks like a you know, a mess of spikes or and tentacles or something like that. So um uh I, I actually kinda of think this is kind of a unique idea, as as weird as that sounds.
0: No, I'm I'm curious because like I said, there were a ton of, you know, monster on the loose alien on the loose, giant robot uh, on the loose type things. And, um, it, you know, if this clicks, it'd be interesting to see what comes next because there are so many things. And uh, finally, too, I wanted to mention, uh looks like we are going to be getting the new Alien film both before the cameras early March. So what are you thinking about all this, Justin?
1: I'm definitely eager to s- hear more about it, to see more about it. Um, not a lot of information yet, but uh, if, if it's slated to start filming this year, then that's a good sign.
0: Absolutely. And that is going to do it for us this week, folks. Everybody take care. Have a happy 2023. Hope it's off to a great start for you, and we'll see you next week. Take care.